Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. And welcome to another edition of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast. I am Rob Stats Guerrero. Levin Black is with me this week as well. And Levin, we have a ton to talk about today, as always, with the 49ers. We are going to get to the schedule. We're going to break it down, give you our reaction, tell you what we like, what we didn't like. But there's a couple of news items we want to get to first. And we have to start with the 49ers tight end, George Kittle, because now that the free agency period and the draft is over with, Levin, Kittle's contract is the biggest item left on the 49ers to-do list. John Lynch himself called it a priority, and there's been a lot of speculation among the fan base as to just how much money to give George Kittle. What does George Kittle want? You're John Lynch now. I'm putting you in his shoes. Get your GM hat on. George Kittle's agent's on the phone. What are you saying? There's no question it's going to be a record contract for the position, both in terms of total money and per year. Because it's been actually a few years since a top, truly top tight end has gotten an extension. If I'm not mistaken, it's Zach Ertz and Travis Kelsey both had extensions back in 2016. Other than that, there's not been a truly top end, prime of his career tight end come up with a contract. And the actual record right now in terms of average per year is only $10.5 I don't think there's any question they're going to go well past that it's just a question of do they go to wide receiver money it it, it's kind of weird because Kittle is in truly he's a unique situation because unlike other top tight ends he's not just a weapon in the receiving game he's what makes that running game work so well when he was injured last season the run game had a steep decline he is a lot of what makes that run game go so he's got not only more leverage than most tight ends, but he's also got more value, which means he deserves more. It's really a a unique situation that I think Kittle actually is in the power position, which is something not necessarily true of other top tight ends because a lot of teams think, well, we can get a receiver, we can get we can replace that receiving production. Can't replace Kittle's blocking and receiving production, not with the way this team is structured. So if I'm John Lynch I don't think you come in lowballing him. I don't think you come in offering him like $11 million per year. You know, I think that's going to be insulting. I think you got to come in at 13 to $14 million per year, which will easily set the record. But if I'm John Lynch, I'm getting inventive with this contract. And I kind of posted on Twitter an idea of give him some incentives. If he reaches certain milestones receiving-wise, or he makes an all-pro team as the tight end, give him a bonus it gives him the capability of earning like a wide receiver but his actual yearly value in terms of the average will be 13 14 million so give him like a two million bonus for an all pro first team all pro give him a million dollar bonus for making a pro bowl give him a million dollars for getting a thousand yards you add those on to the 13 14 million per year you're getting to that top wide receiver uh range and I think that's likely what it's going to be coming in at. I think this is going to be a contract that when it comes down the pipe, a lot of the pundits are going to go, wow, they completely obliterated the record. This is a horrible deal because it's going to be a deal that is minimum 30, 40% above what the pre- previous record is for the position. Um, 
Everything you said about Kittle and his leverage makes sense because I totally agree. He's much more than just a receiver. He's a huge part of the blocking game and the run game. There's that video in the checkdown right now where he blocks three Tampa Bay Buccaneers on one play. And it's just like it's like a 12-yard gain. It's just George Kittle doing George Kittle things. Here's the thing, though. We just saw DeForest Buckner get traded by, John, in John Lynch's own words, literally a guy who, who did everything you could possibly want the 49ers to do for one of their players. Great team guy, leader, never hurt, played over 1,000 snaps, I think, two years in a row. Good player in the locker room. Everything, captain of the defense, everything you want. And they said, this is our number, and he wanted more than that, and they let him go, and they traded him. And so as much as I would love to see the team re-sign Kittle, I can't help but wonder, do they have a number in their head? And if he doesn't want that number, if they can't agree, do they move on? Because I feel like this team has shown that very patriot-like stance of we have values for these guys in mind. And if we can't agree, I don't care who you are, you're out. Yeah, I, I could certainly see them having a certain number in their head. I do think it's going to be pretty high in the range I was talking. Um, I don't think they're going to come in and think, we, we're not going over $12 million. That's not realistic. But the counter to that, I would say, is DeForest Buckner was not the Aaron Donald of his position. He was one of the top defensive tackles and while he's great, he's not a complete game wrecker of a player. He's a very, very, very good guy who I would say probably doesn't have a Hall of Fame career coming. Whereas George Kittle is the Aaron Donald of his position. He is a game wrecker. He's a guy that completely swings things in your favor because he has no weakness to his game. And he's a guy that his trajectory is a Hall of Fame player at this point, obviously very early. So the counter to that is DeForest Buckner is a guy you could replace because there's other types of him out there. There's other guys of his caliber that you could find. George Kittle in this offense, you can't replace nearly as easily. Yes, if you want to do the exact same thing you're doing now. Um, But Kyle Shanahan, Shanahan himself has said, you can sort of manufacture things on offense. And you know, they did live without Kittle for a while, for, you know, a period last year. I just, I hope I'm wrong because I love George Kittle as a fan. I mean, he's everything you could possibly want in a player. He's great. He does the dirty work. He's a leader. He's a personality, but I don't know. I just hope that the 49ers recognize that. And, and like you said, don't mess around, you know, don't outthink the room. Don't get cute. Just pay that man his money to quote. <laughs> Yeah. One of my favorite from Robert, of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, so um, you ha- you uh, haven't you haven't put a number out there. What would you? What's your top dollar? Fifteen, I think, per year would be where I would go. I think the, your first offer out of the gate, like you said, has got to at least be what Kelsey's making now. Has to be, because I think anything less than his agent's going to say you go pound sand. Um, but I, I there is no player to me. That's a must-have at all costs, no matter what. If I'm running a team, there there can't be. So no, unless you have a true MVP quarterback, that would be the only that. position I would say is I don't care what I have to pay you. I'm gonna come to an agreement with you because it's it's also too hard to replace. All other positions, you can find people. You can find a left tackle out there that does a good enough job. You can find a receiver out there. That does a good enough job that you could replace a Julio Jones 
a quarterback, you can literally search for a decade and not find one. And Niner fans know that all too well. Yeah, I don't know if we're in that same place anymore, though. Like, how many teams right now need a quarterback? Like, Cam Newton can't get a job. <laughs> that That is true. There there seems to be a gluttony of average quarterbacks in this yes. league right now. Right, and I feel like if you're Kyle Shanahan, I think part of his thinking is, I'll figure it out. And I hope that's not the stance they take with Kittle because we all love him and we all want to see him with the Niners for years and years to come. John Lynch has called it a priority. Let's hope that this gets resolved pretty soon. Um, the other piece of news we want to get to is the Saints, out of the blue, deciding to release Larry Wolford, who's made the Pro Bowl three years in a row. He's a free agent. The 49ers have interior pass protection issues. Levin, your reaction when you saw this news, and do you want the Niners to pick up the phone? My reaction at first was, hey, the Niners should get him. That would make all the sense in the world. And then... Five seconds later, it was, well, how the heck can they afford him and Kittle? <laughs> they can't. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. I mean, they, they released Warford. He was due $12.5 million was going to be his cap hit this year. His contract was a four-year, $34 million contract. He's 28 years old, so he's still going to be due to get top-tier money. He's mm-hmm. made three Pro Bowls in a row. So that means this is a guy that's going to be looking at $10, $12 million a year at the guard position. There's no way the Niners can afford that. And if even if the market doesn't develop for him because it's so late in the game, the draft has happened, free agencies happen, he might not be able to find a market for him. He can find a team that's willing to give him a big one-year contract. And that's the exact type of thing the Niners can't do. They can't give out a big one-year contract because there's no way to create cap shenanigans to make it fit. So it would be great, but it doesn't seem possible. Yeah, that was my first reaction too. Oh, if this were Madden, I would totally go sign him. Except it's not. And they won't. Right. Although that, That's just the reality yeah. of the situation. I mean, they've kind of done everything they can with the salary cap. They traded Goodwin. They traded Brita. There's not much more that they could truly do to create enough cap room to sign a guy like him. Unless you listen to somebody like... Uh, Grant Cohn and say, well, they could trade Jimmy Garoppolo because Nick Mullins is better anyways. You know? Oh, God. <laughs> you know, we're supposed to, we're, we're so, you know, hopefully we're trying to get Grant on a video conference and, and a couple other people here to do sort of yeah, a Niners well, roundtable. And I might have to just hijack the whole thing because I'm going <laughs> to, me and Grant Cohn, like, we can't be in a room together. Thank God for, for social distancing right now because we can't, I'm going to go nuts on him. Like every tweet he sends out, I just want to rip my computer screen in half because he's driving me nuts. Yeah, I've never met the guy. And some people come off a certain way on something like social media, like Twitter, and they're really not that way. And I've kind of heard from others that he's not really like you see on Twitter, but I'd be very curious to have a, a true conversation with him. And hopefully we are able to do that video thing sometime in the future because I truly want to see him make his argument for why Mullins is better. Yeah. I've talked to him a few times. He's very nice. He's a perfectly nice human being. He just makes me want to break electronics that cost a lot of money. <laughs> I'm just, just throwing that out there. All right. Let's get to the schedule because that was really the main thrust of where we wanted to go today. Um, obviously, the schedule now is out. We've had a little time to digest it. Uh, I'd if it's okay with you, Levin, I'd like to break this thing up into quarters because I feel like that's how a lot of people look at it. So if you look at the first four games on the Niners' schedule, 
there's there's a nice opportunity here to sort of avoid that Super Bowl hangover and get off to a good start. Home against the Cardinals, then back-to-back games at MetLife Stadium with the Jets and the Giants, and then the Eagles. I mean, it's a clear opportunity there for the 49ers to get off to, you would hope, a 3-1 and one at least start, maybe 4-0. and oh. Yeah, it really should be 3-1 and one at worst. The, the two games that they could they sh- should be at risk of losing is Arizona. Because Arizona, mm-hmm. I mean, that's a tough matchup. Murray is athletic, put it that way. And they gave us fits last year, but it is a home game, so you should win it. And the Eagles, obviously, if Wentz is healthy, they're a different team. They got some receiver help in the draft. They're going to be a very good team, but that's also the home game. So three and one at the worst, just because you got to talk, you know, two road games, two tough teams at home, but they really should be 4-0 if you get down to it. They should be 4-0. And I like the fact that the New York games are back-to-back because the Niners can avoid the cross-country flight. You know, they'll, they'll stay at Youngstown or somewhere else, maybe Florida. On I'm, the East I'm Coast. hoping because I live only like an hour and a half from Youngstown now, so I can yes. actually drive up there. <laughs> so uh, I think I saw on the schedule show, Lynch and Shanahan were saying that they're already looking into that. Yeah. So, I mean, that I think in terms of lining up for the 49ers, it couldn't have lined up any better from that standpoint. So that's good to get those out of the way. Then you go to the second four games of the season, home against Miami, the Rams at home, and then we sort of get into the meat a little bit at New England, who, by the way, is coming off a bye, which I hate Great <laughs> that Bill Belichick gets two weeks to prepare for the offense. And then in Seattle, which if you remember in 2012, the last time the 49ers played in New England and then played in Seattle the next week, it did not go well in the Pacific Northwest. Your thoughts, Levin? <laughs> Well, I think that those last two games are certainly the start of the brutal stretch for the Niners. Um, And and in particular, no, the Patriots are not going to be a good team. They might get the number one pick. And that is a lot of talk out there that that's what Belichick's trying to do. He wants to get Trevor Lawrence. But that is the furthest the Niners can travel for a game. New England, Foxborough is the furthest the Niners can travel by miles. And then they got to go all the way back home and go all the way up to Seattle. That that trip makes it brutal. The traveling of that part makes it brutal. The first two games of it, Miami, they should be. Although I do think Miami will be much improved. LA, I, I'm more down on LA, but they're certainly one of the teams that you could see turning into a playoff team. But I, I, I'm a little more down on them than most people, but that's still going to be a tough divisional game. But if you you group this these four games, the Niners should be at worst two and two, probably three and one because they should beat Miami. They should definitely beat the Pats and they should be able to split between LA at home and Seattle. So you're again, looking at three, three and one. I'd be shocked if they go four and oh, that Seattle game is going to be tough with that travel. That would be incredible to go four and oh in that stretch. Um, I'm down on the Rams. Honestly, I think the Rams are getting worse. You know, there's that old adage, you never stay the same. You're either getting better, you're getting worse. I think the Rams are getting worse. I know Sean McVay is a a great offensive mind and a great play caller. I just don't see it on their defense. And on their offense, I mean, who's their biggest weapon right now? It's Cooper Cup, who's really good. But I'm not staying up at night, you know, unable to sleep because we're going to face Cooper Cup this week. I'm just not. And I, I, I don't think Jared Goff is getting better. If any team is going to regress in the NFC West, I think it's going to be the Rams. I think they already regressed. I think them and the Cardinals are pretty equal. 
I think they're both not quite there, but if they get a couple lucky breaks, they could squeak into a wild card. I think they're kind of in that same boat. But before we move move on to the next group of four, we forgot to mention something in the first quarter of games. It should be mentioned. The Jets and the Frank Gore. Should oh, just be mentioned. That's right. That if things have opened up to where I can travel by then, I will probably travel to that game just because I can see Frank Gore and the Niners. Wow. Frank the Tank. He's about 1,300 yards away from yeah, being no second on the all-time <laughs> rushing list. But I mean, no think about that. The guy has two reconstructed knees, two reconstructed shoulders, and he's 1,300 yards away from being the second leading rusher in the history of the NFL. That's incredible. Yeah, and some people don't think he's a Hall of Famer, which I will say like good, oh, maybe five years ago, I remember having a big argument on forum saying, well, it was a little longer than five years. He was still with the Niners. Time flies. But anyways, I was saying it would take a miracle for him to make the Hall of Fame. Because at that time, he was, it was right around the time he was becoming the Niners all-time leading rusher, passing Joe Perry. And it was like, he, he's 30 years old already, and <laughs> he, he needs like another 5,000 yards to even get in the conversation. Well, he's done it, so. <laughs> he, his whole career is a miracle. I mean, the guy, I saw the, the tweet, what did he run? Belky said he, or no, McLuhan said he lied and told yeah. people that he ran like a 4.5 or a 4.6. He ran a 4.78. Yeah, that's like Brady-esque almost <laughs> for a running back. It's basically Tom Brady and the guy was unbelievable. Yeah, one of my all-time favorite players for sure. Sorry, Frank, I should have mentioned it. We will see you week two. Now, getting into the third quarter of the Niners schedule. After the Seattle game, they're home for the Packers, which I don't know about you. I still think it's a game they should win because I don't think the Packers did anything to address the major reasons they got stomped twice by San Francisco last year. So it's Green Bay. Then they have to go on the road again, which apparently the 49ers can only play the Saints in New Orleans. <laughs> so they got that game again. Then the bye week in week 11, which is great, considering they had such an early bye last year. You know, you like a bye in the second half of the season, so that's good. And then at the Rams, those are the next four. At the Rams and Buffalo at home would be the fourth one. Well, Packers, Which, Saints, bye week, Rams. So, yeah, four weeks and then. Oh, okay. I see what you're saying. To me, this, this is the true period of the Niners schedule that will make or break their season. Because they need to break Green Bay. They got to win that home game. New Orleans, that, that's a game that to get the one seed, they might need to win. But if they lose, I mean, they should be underdogs in that game. Because New Orleans and... The 49ers are the two top teams in the NFC, in my opinion, and playing in New Orleans is tough. But then you got LA again on the road this time. Again, that, that's, a, that's a tough matchup. But I will say that bye week, this to me is like the perfect time of the season to have a bye week. You don't want it too early like the Niners had it last year. You don't want it mm-hmm. too late to where you're playing 12, 13 games in a row and you're getting worn out and you're at a distinct, distinct disadvantage. You get it right right when you get to the second half of the season. That's kind of the perfect period because you're starting to get worn down. You get your bye week, and it's late enough in the season where you're a little bit more rested come playoffs. So I will say I, lo- I love the bye week, but this will be the make or break period. This is a period where the Niners could go 0-3, and their season starts to crumble. They could go 1-2 and where they need to make up some games. They could go 2-1. and or they could be dominating the league and go 3-0. and 
to me, there this is the stretch where I think there could be some. Uh, I can't think of the right word. There, there could be some barrier here, and I, I do think they're going to struggle in this stretch. And I, it, it's tough for me to say. It's so far away, but one and two, I could easily see. I'll put it that way. I could easily see them going one and two in this stretch. Yeah, the, we'll know if the 49ers are going to get the number one seed based on what happens in this stretch because they're playing the elite teams in the NFC. And if they don't win those games, we, I mean, we saw it came down to literally the last play basically in week 17 for them to win the number one seed last year. You know, there's going to be a lot of competition for that. And so, look, and the, getting the number one seed this year is even more important because there's only going to be one team that gets a bye. So, and it was massive, massive. I don't think the 49ers make the Super Bowl last year unless they have that first round bye in the playoffs. So that is going to be the stretch where we figure out, you know, just where they stand in the NFC. So that was the next four Packers, Saints, by Rams. Okay, sorry. And lastly, we have, what do we have? Bills, Redskins, Cowboys, Cardinals, Seahawks. That's how the schedule finishes up. I think that Cowboys game 11 is going to be massive. And by the way, just doesn't something just feel good about a meaningful 49ers-Cowboys game late in the season? That's going to be a Sunday night football game. There's just something cool about the Niners and the Cowboys playing a really important game again. Yeah, the the Cowboys are one of those sneaky teams in in the NFC that could rise to the top. If CeeDee Lamb is for real, that receiving core is going to be ridiculous. Maybe the best in the league. And then you got a running back in Zeke, who's one of the best in the league. And assuming Dak gets re-signed, he's, while I don't think he's an MVP caliber quarterback, I don't think he's a bad quarterback either. Um, they really don't have a weakness on offense if they stay healthy and CeeDee Lamb is for real. Even if he's not a Pro Bowl caliber receiver right off the bat. I mean, that receiving core is stacked with him in it. So this could be a game that it, they're playing for top seed in the NFC. They're playing for that bye. And going to Dallas, that rivalry still hasn't gone away, despite both teams kind of floundering for the last 20 years. It, it will be a very tough, tough game. But it is also the Cowboys. You, you got to remember that. <laughs> they're supposed to be great every year. Doesn't mean they actually turn out that way. Would you rather see them beat the Cowboys or beat the Seahawks? Oh, Seahawks. It has too much implications for the division. That's fair. I do like bumping up on the Cowboys. <laughs> By the way, that Bills game is going to be a sneaky hard game. Sean McDermott yeah. is a really good coach. The Bills defense is really good. And I think that Josh Allen is mobile enough to just generally be a pain in the ass for the 49ers <laughs> defense, frankly. And now they have Stephon Diggs there on offense. They're, they're building something in Buffalo. I think the Bills are going to win the AFC East this year. That is not going to be a fun game for the 49ers. That's a Monday night game. Yeah, Buffalo, Buffalo's good. I mean, they, they have a lot of potential. They have a pretty good defense. And that offense, with the way they run it, it works. Josh Allen, is he a great passer yet? No. I mean, he, he has accuracy issues, but... He's one of those guys that comes up with big plays when you need him, whether it's running or passing. He can make spectacular throws. He just lacks consistency in his accuracy, which could come, could not. But he is one of those guys that will come up with big plays. And I do think, looking at the other game that we haven't really even mentioned yet, 
that Washington Redskins game to me is the Atlanta Falcons game of last season. Yes. That, that yes. is the game that you could see a letdown because you're going to have the Niners coming off just like that Atlanta game. They're going to be coming off a brutal stretch. The at, at New England, um, you got first the Seah- or at Seahawks, Green Bay, New Orleans, Rams again, Buffalo again, all potential playoff teams. And then suddenly they got Washington with the Ra- or the Cowboys and two divisional games to finish mm-hmm. behind it. That's a game that they could easily overlook because they got all these playoff potential teams in front and these divisional playoff teams after. So that is the trap game of of this schedule. You're absolutely right. That's the the game where they go, okay, we made it, and then bam, all of a sudden you're losing in the fourth quarter, and you're like, how the hell did we get here? And there's, I absolutely- there's even a similar parallel storyline because the storyline going in that Falcons game was there's no way this is a trap game because Kyle Shanahan's going to want to stick it to his old team. Well, they they're going to go. There's no way this is a trap game. Kyle Shanahan's going to want to stick it to Dan Snyder, and Trent Williams is going to want to stick it to Dan Snyder. <laughs> similar Trent- storyline. Trent Williams' revenge game. And let's not forget Kyle Shanahan. I mean, he, Kyle Shanahan and Dan Snyder, there's not much uh, mutual respect Love there. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, we didn't mention this, and I should have, and it's my fault. Shame on me. Uh, I, I glossed over it. The Patriot game. The Jimmy Garoppolo return yeah. to New England. Do you think that that's a thing? Do you think that that's a big deal? I don't think Garoppolo cares about that, to be honest. I think that's something that the – New England fans will be focused on, and the media will talk about a lot leading up to that game. I don't. Why Garoppolo has no bad blood with the Patriots? They traded him to a great team, and he's made a Super Bowl because of it. Where if he stayed in New England, he might not even be playing. So I don't. To me, that's a bigger like a that's more sizzle than steak. If you know what I'm saying. Yeah that 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 was a game that if Brady stayed would be massive. That would be a big talking point. But with Brady gone, it pretty much loses all of it. Nobody cares about Garoppolo's return. He wasn't really ever the starter in New England. He, yeah, he started games. when Brady was suspended, but he got hurt then. I mean, poor backup returns. Woo. You know, was it was it a big return when Brett Favre returned to Atlanta? <laughs> no. Right. <laughs> yeah, and like, what, what are you going to say to Jimmy Garoppolo? He's like, I made a Super Bowl with the 49ers in my first full year as a starter. If anything, he's like, you were dumb to trade me, but like, they didn't trade him to, you know, the Browns. They didn't trade him to the Bengals. They traded him to a great spot. So he should be grateful, if anything. So, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page about that. And then to finish up, I mean, the Seahawks at home, that game potentially could be for the NFC West, could be for more just like we saw last year. Do you think that the Niners have sort of turned a corner when it comes to Seattle? I mean, they beat him without Jimmy Garoppolo two years ago. They beat them. They split last year, but really they should have won both games because if if Robbie Gold is there instead of Chase McLaughlin, I think that field goal in overtime gets made and that game is over. I still have nightmares about the Seahawks just whooping the Niners, but do you think that they've turned a corner here and that's not the case and then those games are going to just be grinded out close games all the way through? No, not for fans at least. I I don't think the teams got lost too much in the stigma and getting the one win to win the division and get the buy last year kind of ends that for the team. Mm-hmm. But as you just said, I'm in the same boat. I still have this, oh, I don't want to play Seattle type mentality <laughs> when it comes to them. It's like, like one of the solid schedule and it's all, it ends with Seattle. I was like, it, yeah, I get it. it it's kind of cool. 
damn, I don't want to play Seattle at the end of the season when something's on the line. Yeah, I mean, it's just I'm like those those Harbaugh Forty Nine ers teams were great teams, and they generally got spanked by Seattle whenever they played them. And so I just it's hard for me to shake that, but I do like the fact that 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 one of those games comes at the end of the year. You know, when guys like Ayuk and Kinlaw, you know, you're not a rookie by week 17 anymore. You've had experience. You're in the flow. You want those guys to sort of have more time under their belt. So from that perspective, I guess it's good. But, I mean, God forbid you're in a situation where you need one more win to secure the top seed or get in the playoffs. Wouldn't you much rather have the Washington game there or the Miami game or the Jet game? or the Just give me Seattle. You're killing me. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, at least we know that game is likely to happen. <laughs> I mean, I'm, get, I'm getting into what we were going to talk about after the schedule, but I think it is part of the schedule in that this schedule is subject to change. It's not set in stone. COVID could throw this schedule for a loop. It could be this is the schedule and oops, those first four games didn't happen. We're going to tack them on to the end of the season, push the end of the season. And the season no longer ends with Seattle or they push Seattle back to the end and they change all sorts of things or they play a 12 game schedule. I mean, this schedule is far from a guarantee, which is why I was telling my wife the other night, man, I I would totally buy great tickets right off the bat when they go on sale for that Jets game, but I ain't buying tickets. I already bought tickets to a, a major league baseball game for this season. I haven't gotten my money back because they could reschedule. I, I ain't doing that one. <laughs> I'm not buying sports tickets until I know the game is going to be played. And being in New York, I think that is part of why those two games are back-to-back. The NFL doesn't really throw NFL teams a bone saying, hey, why don't you play in this city back-to-back weeks? They don't throw you bones and favorite play favoritism. I think that was purposely done. That, hey, we're going to have this... W- West Coast team that plays both New York teams, schedule those in the first part of the season where it's less likely to happen so that if they get canceled, it's not as big of a deal. And there is a weird, I don't think it's a coincidence that all the teams that play each other in week two share the same bye week. So if the NFL, and I saw this is something that Florio had at PFT, basically, mm-hmm. let's say they play week one as scheduled, right? And people just go nuts and they just get criticized and crushed. And, or and they have an you know, outbreak whatever, they can cancel basically like the next three weeks of the season and easily cancel week two because they all have the same bye week. So you just put that game where their bye was and you're good to go. And, and from that perspective, it's not as difficult to shuffle things around. The 49ers could be particularly affected by this because you just had the governor of California say he doesn't see how the NFL is going to start the season on time and play it. The Niners have investigated holding training camp outside of the state of California. So like you said, everything is up in the air and it'd be great to just bang out the schedule as it is. But look, timing and the order of these games is huge. It matters greatly in how the season turns out. And we could be looking at a totally different order by the time September rolls around. It's why I'm surprised they had a division game in those first four. I was pretty confident waiting on the schedule release that what we were going to see is teams get non-divisional games and I thought they would e- they would go one of two ways. They would either schedule all of your cross conference play. So 
all of our AFC games against the AFC mm-hmm. East in the first four weeks so that if you have to cancel the first quarter, it's not a big deal. Or go the other way and say those teams only get to play each other once every four years. We're going to schedule four in-conference but non-divisional games in the first four. So if those get canceled, they still have their divisional games and we still get the games that only happen once every four years. So I was shocked, honestly, to see a divisional game leading things off the week that is most likely to be canceled. So you know what that tells me? That tells me that the NFL thinks they're playing and they think they're playing all the games. They think they're playing the full schedule. They, I think it was a show of confidence by the league to schedule it this way. I mean, look, Donald Trump has made his views known. He would like to see them play. I'm sure the NFL has had discussions with someone in the administration. I'm sure very high level people. I'm sure all the commissioners have, frankly. I mean, there's a, they have the task force that, that President Trump recently did the call with. So. I think the NFL has talked to their people and they say, we're full steam ahead here. And I think that is naive, if I'm being honest. Like, I'm not a big doomsdayer type person, and I don't think this is going to be a doomsday. But I do think, as we're speaking right now, a lot of states are starting to open things back up. And what we're going to see is the numbers that weren't even really declining, they were just kind of breaking off Mm -hmm. and starting to have consistency you're going to see them spike like crazy as states open up and they're going to go oh crap we can't open up and you're going to get locked down again that's what's going to happen i think so too and i don't think there's any really denying it because you've already seen it you've seen places like sweden who tried the herd mentality didn't work imagine that (laughs) you're going to see these states opening things back up and they're going to spike like crazy but not only that I think that's going to happen, but not only that, the NFL is not going to get first crack at it. It's kind of ironic, but the NFL is going to have to sit and watch Major League Baseball and potentially the NBA try it out first. And I think what's going to end up being seen whenever one of those leagues start is it's all fine and well to work with no fans until one player gets sick because then that entire team has to be quarantined. And when that entire team is quarantined, how the heck do you keep your schedule? You can't. It's a two-week quarantine. And I think that's what you're, you're going to run into. It doesn't make it makes no sense to me that until there is a solution, whether it's a vaccine, which actually probably isn't all that likely, it's more likely they figure out a way to cure it in the sense of the flu where the death toll comes down to an acceptable level because the flu doesn't have a cure either. You know, people still thousands of people die every year from the flu. It's just an acceptable level for the risk. So until you see that, I don't see how sports leagues can play. Because So let's say somebody, they start up the NFL, and in week two, a team has two people test positive. Well, who did they play that week? All of those yep. people, all the, all, both teams have to be completely quarantined. And when they're quarantined, your schedule's ruined. You can't continue your season. How can you have the other teams continue to play their schedule and not have those two teams You know, in, in this scenario? It doesn't make any sense to me. And they will have positive tests. You're not going to keep... This is the thing that I, I don't think... The fans that are in favor of it and think it's possible, they don't think about. You're not going to keep these professional athletes quarantined. They're not going to play their games, go to practice, and then go to some hotel room and see nobody. They have families. They're not going to say, screw you. I'll just play a Major League Baseball season of six months and never see my family for six months. No, that 
they're going to be out and about and get exposed. They might not test positive from a fellow player. They might test positive from somebody they saw during their downtime. And that's the dynamic that makes this, to me, impossible. Wait, you mean that guys that play for John Gruden are just, they're going to just go back to their hotel room in Vegas and not, <laughs> not do anything, not have any fun, especially those rookies, right? You're young and you're rich. You're in Vegas and you're just going to chill in your hotel room? No, of course not. I totally agree. It's impossible to contain. It is impossible to contain. And I, I agree with you. I think we're going to see the numbers jump back up as soon as we start to reopen stuff, especially because we're all so desperate. I mean, I, would, I was talking to my wife right now. Every day it goes up about 10 bucks. how much I'm willing to spend to get my hair cut. <laughs> it's at like 60, 70 bucks now, but every day it goes up by like 10 bucks just to get a haircut, not like to go out to eat or to go to a movie or to do something actually fun just to get this mop of shag off the top of my head. So if you start opening things up again, people are going to be clamoring to get out there, which is obviously going to lead to more cases and unfortunately more deaths. It just, it doesn't make sense to me how you can keep these people from being exposed during their downtime. They're people that have money to expend. They're not going to say, they're, they're not a college athlete. They're not a high school athlete where you can say, hey, just stay in this little bubble of a hotel. And they're adults who have families and have lots of money. They're used to being able to do what they want. It just doesn't work to me. And then you, you have the whole dynamic that we haven't even talked about, which is very relevant to the 49ers of if Santa Clara doesn't allow things to open up or the state of California doesn't allow things to open up, those teams are going to what? Play the entire season on the road? How is that fair? How, how, oh, you how is free. that acceptable? Forget fairness. They're, they do not care. You think those 32 owners care about what's fair? They care about playing those no, games no, no. and getting they, that cash. No, I'm not saying the owners. I'm saying the players are gonna, not going to go, sure, I'll go stay some random place away from where I want to live for this entire season. I don't think they're going to say that. The only way I could see them saying that, and this might be a power struggle that becomes a big story, that you have players start to resist wanting to play, and the NFL goes, fine, then nobody's getting paid. If we don't have a season, nobody gets paid, and the players go, hold on. <laughs> that, that's yeah. the only thing I could see. And You, you also got to factor in the NFL in particular for sports. Players have a very small window to be. If they punt on this season, do you ever see Tom Brady play again? You ever see Drew Brees play again? Are they going to really punt on that? Are those players who, if they spoke in favor of playing, would carry a lot of weight? Going to sit and be quiet if they try to cancel? If they if players are speaking out saying I won't play? No, I think I think there's a battle coming of when whenever a sports league finally decides we're doing it, there's going to be resistance from some players. And we haven't seen that quite yet in any of the leagues, but it's coming. And you're totally right, by the way. The, the NFL is not fighting that battle first. It's going to be the NBA, which is fascinating because I think you, you know, the NBA, I felt like when they canceled the NBA season or postponed it or stopped playing, that I felt like made it real for a lot of people in the country. Like, okay, this is a huge mm-hmm. deal. That was like a turning point. And but now they're going to be opening back up, but you've got the NBA where the players have number one, the most power of any of the big sports leagues, and they're not afraid to use it. They, they, you know, they carry their momentum and their power and they're not afraid to use it. And I think there's going to be a ton of NBA players. We've seen some comments already that have said, 
this isn't safe. I'm not doing this. And if you don't get those guys on board, I wonder if that's going to empower players in other sports, Major League Baseball, and ultimately the NFL to say the same thing, especially if the NBA players have success in holding off some sort of, of resumption of the season. I think NBA is going to be the true guinea pig because they're the easiest to get started. Five players around the court at a time. Teams carry 12 players. It's not Major League Baseball with 25-man rosters or 40-man mm-hmm. active rosters if you want to get into the bigger roster. And it's not the NFL with 53-55 players with the free rotation of practice squad players now. The NBA is the league to be the guinea pig. But I don't see how it's possible. They are the league that had players playing with COVID already. That's what happened. That's what shut them down. So if it was a scenario of, oh crap, somebody tested positive, we're shutting the entire league down. How the heck do you play again, knowing at some point somebody's going to test positive? You can't contain it. It's too far. Somebody tested positive when it was just getting to the United States. Now you have almost one and a half million cases of it. And that's so low only because they don't test people. Like, so like right now, somebody in my family who's young is sick with flu-like symptoms. They're not quite flu-like, but he, he's not puking. So they called and said, should we come in and get tested for COVID? And they told him, he's young. Unless he takes a turn for the worse, we're not wasting tests on people who are low risk. How many other people do you think that's going on? Because right? he's young. He's a kid. Like a, and a teenager kid. So he's like one of the lowest risk people. How many other countless thousands, if not millions of people are in that same boat? Hey, I'm sick. Well, you're of this age or do you have any underlying health conditions? No. Okay. Then don't come in. We're not wasting a test on you. The true number of positive tests is much more than the 1.5 million. And think, it's think everywhere. about that too. He's no less sick because he hasn't gotten tested. And what they're saying is, unless you get rid, like make that in terms of a football game. You're like, hey, it's, uh, it's me. It's 14 nothing. So it's the second quarter, but it's 14 nothing, and we're, you know, another score, and we're really in a bad way here. And they're essentially saying, ah, call us when it's 21 nothing or 28 nothing, and then maybe we'll try to change up our game plan and go on offense and, and knock this thing out. I mean, that's incredible. That's where you are right now. Yeah. And it's just, to me, it's this simple. I mean, we've already talked about it for 20 minutes, but it really boils down to this simple scenario COVID is everywhere in the United States. You're not going to keep people from being able to get it if they're doing stuff and with the league, they're going to be doing stuff. I mean, I don't think people understand how many hundreds of people it takes to put on an NFL game. So you're, you're going to have risk. You're going to have exposure. You have one positive test of a player. That team can't play games for two weeks. How the heck do you have a season? How do you start a season and go, Oh crap, somebody tested positive in week two. Well, that team doesn't play for two weeks. The two teams they were playing, we're going to have to make up those games at some point. Those two teams can't play this week now because they don't have an opponent. Blah, blah. I mean, it, it, it spirals. There, you can't play a season if the risk is one positive test means a team can't play for two weeks. You can't start a season. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be, unless something changes, I don't know how we avoid the situation we've been talking about for the last 20 minutes because it seems inevitable, but we'll see. You know, here's hoping. I'm hopeful. I know you certainly would love to see the 16 game schedule played as is, but we'll find out. Um, but I think we've 
I think we plowed that field, as Jim Harbaugh once said. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. Yeah. Thank we're you very have, much. Hey, we're going to have a real spring football league for once, and it's going to be the NFL. <laughs> my prediction. <laughs> this one may actually last. <laughs> but thank you very much for tuning in this week. We appreciate it. Please like us, subscribe, comment, tell your friends about us. If you want the show to keep going, the more you do, the more we'll do for you. So thank you. I, I don't know if we'll be back next week or two weeks from now. Like we said, we are working on something with Grant Cohn and a couple other people to try and do like a 49ers roundtable. So that may be happening sooner rather than later as well. For 11 Black, I'm Rob Stats Guerrera. Thanks, and we'll see you soon.